Hi, Jerome. Hello, Laura. How are you? I am feeling fantastic. Every time we do, every time we talk, I, I'm probably just finishing up uh, running in the woods or something like that. So, you know, that gets me high. So when you say running in the woods, tell us tell us where you're running. You're in Nashville, Tennessee, reminding everyone. Percy so, Warner Park, Percy. the church of Percy Warner. <laughs> That's where I worship. And um, Or the Green Cathedral. And today I did the red and the white trails and visited a lot on them. And uh, it was just fantastic. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. How about your, did you hike today? I went on a run and then I went to my X-Core class. It's like like a high intensity Pilates. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Nora and I just went down to the farmer's market in Montclair Village and I uh, got some fresh organic strawberries. I'm super excited about those. Oh, yeah. So your head will be right. My head will be right. Yes. Uh, for the week. That'll just set it right, you know. Well, especially getting to talk to you about uh, Billboard Happiness always sets my week off right, too. Hey, you are so kind to say that. I get so charged up and uh, on my runs when I'm thinking about it. You know, I come up with all these ideas about what I want to say. And then by the end of the run, I can't remember anything that I <laughs> came up with. I come up with all these different billboards, you know, and uh, messages and these bumper sticker messages. And then I forget by the end of the run. Well, I bet they come back up. That's how the brain works, right? It we gets, shall see. We shall see. <laughs> if one Time will tell. <laughs> well, today we're going to talk about a book, um, that I actually heard the author, the author, the main author is Todd Rose. um, And his co-author is Ogi Ogas, I think is how you pronounce that, or maybe Ogi Ogas. Um, And I heard Todd actually on another of my favorite podcasts called Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard, who is an actor who is on Parenthood. If anybody watched Parenthood, Dax, I've forgotten what his what role he played. Um, He's married to Kristen Bell, who's also a great actress, actor. And uh, I love his podcast. He talks to all kinds of people. And I heard Todd on here and I was really, uh, I I thought what he was talking about was super interesting just for me, but I thought it was really interesting in terms of kids because it's, um, it's just a great idea of things that you can teach your kid to pay attention to. Um, the book is called Dark Horse. And so what, what happened was, so Todd has an interesting story. Um, he dropped out of school at 17 and he married his teenage girlfriend. And before they turned 20, they had two kids. So he was, so he dropped out of high school, has two kids, not even 20. And so he's selling chain link fences in Utah and he realized he had this passion for social sciences. So I think his dad kind of got him thinking this way. And I don't remember that whole story. But basically, he decided to get his GED, started going to night classes. And then he eventually went on to get his doctorate in human development from Harvard, from the School of Education. And then he completed his postdoc at Harvard, too. And he actually teaches at Harvard and is on the the director of the Mind, Brain, and Education program at the Harvard Graduate School of Education. Yeah, I like this cat. 
Um, um, yeah, I'm really moved by some of the things he says and just that, um, you know, he hit the ground running and, and uh, became quite a high achiever and was following his heart at the same time. I'm impressed as yeah. well. Yeah. Well, and that's actually, I mean, that's how he comes to this book is because it reflects his life. So the book is called Dark Horse because what he and his researcher partners did was find people out in the world who in a typical frame of success, what we consider success, are super, super successful. But they did not get there in the typical fashion where they started young, apprenticed, worked hard, kind of worked their way up. They often did completely different things, um, maybe many, many different kinds of things before they found this thing that they loved and became super, super successful at it. And he has tons of examples in there, um, which I won't go into because we don't have enough time, but they're all super interesting. So they studied these people like, what was going on? Well, how did all these people come at come to their success, quote unquote, from such vastly different backgrounds? And how they put it was what they realized that the thread was they didn't go after being successful for the sake basically of being successful. They wanted to be fulfilled. And so they went they pursued things that made them feel that way. So what they decided was the big difference was the way they put it is pursuing excellence doesn't lead you to fulfillment. It's the pursuit of fulfillment that leads you to excellence. Yes. Yes. And I, and one quick um, further clarification on that is he sees this as particularly um pertinent right now as we're moving what he calls the age of standardization. So you go to school, you sit in the chair, everybody learns the same thing. You go to work in a factory is kind of how our current education system is set up. Um, That's evolving. But he thinks overall, we're evolving into an age of personalization where it's your individual, individuality matters. So not fitting a standardized role, but your individuality matters, individuality matters, what, what you do in your life matters. And so leading a life that's meaningful and fulfilling is the way to success. Yes, yes. Um, so anyway, so I thought that your own was, sister. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a super interesting shift to make in our own minds about our, ourselves, of course, but definitely in terms of education and in terms of how we're teaching our kids to think about their lives. So pursuing things that bring them fulfillment rather than, you know, the typical study hard, get your SAT, get your SAT scores high, get the best school, the thing that you hear about most. Like we're shifting from that and trying to focus on what brings you fulfillment. Um, And there's one quote, and I'll say it, and then I'll let you talk, Jerome. I'm sorry, I'm kind of hogging the conversation here. But one quote from the book um, says, what you desire and what you do not desire defines who you are in a unique and deeply personal manner. When you do activities that match up with your true motives, your journey will be compelling and satisfying. But if you misjudge or ignore your motives, your progress will be plodding and dreary, or you may abandon the road altogether. 
I like this cat because he he says judgment is a good thing. You know, mm. he 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 turns it into a positive and it's usually, you know, the cynical thing concept. But um you know, it's just like pay attention to your subjective internal experience. Mm. That's your judgment. And if you're paying attention to it and if it activates your disgust system, then you know <laughs> uh, that might not be your path. And if, however, if it activates your reward system, that might be something you want to be um, that you want to pursue. I do think, though, when we're talking about kids that, um, you know, being a part of the group, being included, um, being in sync with your peers is really important, yeah. even if it's not something that activates your reward system. If they're doing something, you, you know, you want to be a part, you want to be included. Right. And so I think that it's kind of hard to tell people to follow their heart at 13 and think that it's not going to be influenced by what their peers are also doing. So I think right. it'd be interesting as a parent to have this conversation with your kids or both conversations with your kids, you know, um, I think they have the capacity to hold both of those. Like, yeah, I know you want to be included and be like your friends. And also I hear you say that, you know, ballet makes you tick as well. And maybe you should explore both. Yeah. Well, I, I actually have in my notes for this episode, like right now, all Nora seems to be concerned about is texting her friends. So I'm, I don't think, I don't want that to be her motivation for her future. And you know that I love, I know that, that is very telling about her, that she likes to be connected, connected. and included. And so we might say <laughs> that uh, if she decides she wants to be um, some kind of a career that lands you in isolation, then um, she might want to rethink that. Because she, you know, one of her values is being connected. Yeah, it's funny. Just yesterday, there was a big um, spring festival at her school, which was amazing. I was, I was, it's our first year there. So it was fun to be part of that school community. And I was working at the front, like, welcome desk. And there was, somebody else was working there, this guy, Daryl. And his his son, Jordan, is a year older than Nora. But we were just talking about our kids. And he was saying Daryl had dreads you with your blonde hair and Daryl with dreads like we're just so inclusive at this school <laughs> he was african-american but he did not have dreads oh, he was, dang. um but he his son jordan is a golfer and i said how in the world did he find out he wanted to play golf like that seems like and in this world of soccer and basketball, like, how did he figure that? He said, well, I have to admit, I got him started because I, I do financial services stuff. And basically, I knew playing golf is, is a good thing when you're, mm -hmm. when you're trying to sell. So, um, so he, he did a class with his son when his son a few years ago, and his son, he said his son just took to it. Like, after elementary school, after all the like soccer stuff, kind of lower level stuff, he gave up everything else and is devoted to golf. Like that's, he just found his thing. And I, I'm just so fascinated by that because 
He admitted he got him into it, but he certainly hasn't been pressing it. It's been all on his son's own path, his the pursuit of that path, which is... Well, obviously, he feels good at it. Yeah. Doing it. He might be good at it. And if, if he gets to spend time with his dad, you know, there's so many things that we, you know, that uh, may contribute to him, you know, hanging in there with it. I yeah. hope he wears Timberlands, though, when he's doing it, though. <laughs> Don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, so so this this idea of finding your motive is is the big um, key for for figuring out what's going to make you fulfilled, as we've been talking about. So, you know, I think that's hard enough for adults, but I think it can be especially hard for kids. Like you said before, like what motivates her now may not seem like it's something that's going to stick with her. Um, but he has an interesting way of figuring out what he calls micro motives. So the big motives may be hard to figure out because they're, um, they feel like do or die. Right. But these micro motives is what he calls these things that are super specialized things that make your heart sing. And that, that by identifying these, he believes you can harness your, what he calls energy and authenticity. And so there's an interesting way they have in the book to figure out what your or your kids' micro motives are. And that's by what they call playing the game of judgment. And this gets to what you said right at the beginning, Jerome, is like, if you observe how you're judging others for what they do, you can kind of, it really then helps you figure out what's important to you. Um, that's right. Whether it activates your reward system right. or your, your disgust. disgust system. And especially, I mean, this this is just right up the alley for a teenager or, or a tween in that if you're ever on a plane and there are three in front of you, you can just hear them looking through a magazine or looking at their phones and saying, ooh, gross, that's so hot. He's so hot. Oh, he's not, or, you know, they just get, everything's dichotomized as terms right. of what they like or what they don't like. Ones and zeros. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> I like, though, this micro motives things, too. Um, uh, it's such a good word. Like, I think for parents, when you, you know, when you pick your kids up in the afternoon or you, instead of asking them about their day, it's just like, you know, have them, you know, prepared to discuss a micro moment, a micro motive, you know, something that a micro discovery about themselves mm. or one of their friends. And you can even offer up one because getting yeah. the talk I know uh, in the afternoon, uh, it, it can be a difficult challenge is what I hear. Yes. What you hear is correct. Okay. At least in my house. Um. Well, yeah, and it's it's kind of I, when you're saying that it's making me think of the grateful thing too. Like I I don't just it isn't just Nora that says grateful. I say it too. So having something that you mirror, I think, makes it easier for kids to get involved too. I mean, they like. I think they find it fascinating that we have internal lives at all. So <laughs> hearing that's right. If your dad <laughs> likes golf and he's good at it, and you like your dad, then you might like golf too. Hmm. Well, the thing that they talk about this game of judgment is, um, 
so they have like three steps. So first you become aware of the moments when you're judging someone and, and they say something like we do all this, we do this all the time and it's, it's our human nature to react to others. So if you develop an awareness of when you're making a judgment, you can then consciously think about what that judgment is and what it might mean to you. So they say that your feelings are what's important here. So when you're judging someone, like you said, Jerome, is it like disgusted or super positive, celebratory? Um, You're trying to get in touch with your emotional core. And then you ask, why are you feeling that? And you have to be honest about that. So they say, for instance, if you watch a celebrity interview and you find yourself thinking, how can anybody be truly happy when they're like trying to just be an Instagram star, then you know that money and acclaim are not powerful motivators for you. And um, this kind of cool in that he will acknowledge that, hey, if status is your thing, if there's something that you value, you know, go for it. Right. Well, that's, I mean, I was thinking about that for me, well, let me just finish. So like on the other hand, they said, if, if you see a guy who's like a trash guy or um, whatever might consider be on the other side of Instagram famous, if you're saying like, oh gosh, how can that person be uh, fill in the blank, uh, work at the library, or right, let's not right. pretend that that person's sick, quote unquote successful, then then you're kind of learning, yes, status and acclaim matter to you. And again, it's not good or bad. You're really trying to figure out what motivates you and be honest about it. Right. And another look at that is uh, we could say that it seems pretty rote and um, mundane. So maybe being challenged and stimulated uh, really matters to you. Right. Right. But you're well, going to have to really be an own parent to, you know, get that out of your kid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this is a tricky one, but I think it's so important. I think, I mean, I think, it, again, it's it's like much of the stuff that we talk about on the podcast. It's a practice. It's not like a one and done. It's something, it's a mindset of paying attention to your mind. Um, actually, my friend David and I were just talking about this the other day, like, it's like when you're, you know, I went to grad school to study fiction. And when I was in grad school, my brain was turned in a different way. Like I was paying attention to the world around me in a very different way because I was always thinking of what I was seeing and how that might turn into something I was going to write later that day. So you're, you're looking at the world through the lens, a different lens than you are when you're not writing. And it's kind of, and this is the same way when you're looking at the world through the lens of like, what turns me on, what doesn't turn me on, you have to really pay attention. And that's not something you can just auto just start doing in one second. Well, maybe you can, Jerome, because you're Jerome. <laughs> no, but that, that's mindfulness 2.0. Yeah. And, uh, and it's a way that I think that kids like sincere conversations. You know, uh, when you just, when they uh, see someone doing a job that they think is um, boring or disgusting, you know, instead of saying to your kid, like, um, well, that's not very nice. 
or you shouldn't judge. You know, you can have a sincere conversation with them and it's easier for both people. Sincerity is always easier. Yeah. And just judging them for judging others. <laughs> right, right. Well, that's that that is one thing that they say um in an article based on the book, but they say the hardest thing about this is resisting the sense that of what we should be motivated by. Yeah. And that's where I think people get into trouble, including myself. Like, um, I think about uh, my writing. I feel like I should want to just write because it brings me such joy. Um, but I, if I'm writing fiction, which I'm not right now, I want it to be on the New York Times bestseller list. I can't help it. That, that would be my motivation. And yes. I know that's yes. not quote unquote the right motivation. You're supposed right. to be in love with the process. And, and there's I, no right. Yes. It, it just would be the, the motivation. Yeah. Well, it, but it also, though, does point to the fact that the – I – Yes, there's no right or wrong motivation, but the the writing, probably the writers who are, whose find fulfillment in the process is what they're saying in this dark horse book. They're the ones who end up getting success versus the ones who want the success and kind of would just as well skip the process, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I, I would think if they, they might, Either one might find success, but is it fulfillment? Do they feel right. like fulfilled in the process? Is it a sustainable model? You know, that statement, or I think you told it to me years ago, find the job you love and you never have to work a day at all. Mm. Oh, I'd love to have been the one who told you that. But <laughs> Well, I mean, you might have heard it. Poe Brunson or somebody say it, but you know, <laughs> I think I heard it from you, but like, you know, it's just like things that are sustainable. If you love it, uh, I don't even think you have to tell a kid to find or to do what they love, because if they love it, they're going to figure it out. That's right. That's yeah. before that judgment really of society actually creeps in. That's why this is powerful. I think for kids, like if you can kind of alert them to the fact that society is going to try to beat this out of you, <laughs> like Right. Remember how you feel about these things now and hold on to that and and fight against the the standardization of of your world because that's not going to get you where you really want to go. And now let's talk middle class for a minute of because course. you can tell your kid that. I think your kids can be competent enough, emotionally competent enough to know what makes their heart uh, sing and what makes them tick and what they love. And I think that you also get to have a conversation with them about um, how much it costs to go to college and yeah. ski and live in particular neighborhoods and the such, and that you don't always have to be doing what um, you love professionally, that the people right. that the street cleaner might be uh, running soccer camps or he may be playing softball uh, for his, you know, for his church or for his neighborhood. And that's his passion. He's still following his yeah. heart. So it does not have to be just your job. 
That's right. And, you know, and I think, you know, because that's the reality, um, I think that more people are faced with that you don't always get to do, uh, yeah. make a living doing, following your heart. $20,000 is the average musician salary. You know, right. um, so that means a lot of them are making less than that. And, um, and so, you know, but you can still do that. Don't forget to play music. Don't forget to write. Um, don't forget to, uh, if you're not a pro athlete, you can still be an athlete of some sort. Right. Well, that's interesting. Interesting you say that because I do think there's a difference between making a living, let's just call it making a living, at something you love versus pursuing for your career something that you find fulfilling that may not have anything to do with um, what you love per se, like, mm-hmm. like a, the musician. Well, like, okay. So the example, one example that they use is, is about sports. So say your kid says, um, I love playing football and you're like, well, what you dig a little bit more like, okay, what is that? Is it that you like being on a team? Is it you like being outside? Is it, you know, kind of what are the things in football that, the micro motivations, again, not the big ones, but the micro, what, what, what are the things that we can pull out of a love of football that could apply to a career that's not in sports? That's good. That's good. That's a good point. And fulfillment and love. Uh, yeah. I, well, can I pull rank here and say it's the same anatomical structure that's going to be activated and (laughs) neuroanatomical (laughs) structure so you know whether it's lust or love it's the same neuroanatomical structure but still for it to be sustainable you know um yeah yeah yeah, i hear what you're saying and that's important can a teen can an 11 year old understand that yeah, probably not, but we can guide them. I mean, that's our role as parents, right? Is like, and for us, I mean, that's the whole point of this. Well, one one of the points of this podcast is it's not just to give the nuggets and the billboard to tell your kids, but it's also for us to like be thinking about how to shape our kids by knowing these things and keeping it in the back of our minds so that as they grow, we can impart these lessons over and over. Um but I think your your example of a musician, and you're in Nashville, so you see a bunch of them. They did have another example of said if you if your child insists they want to be a famous musician, but then they end up choosing to play video games or hanging out with their friends before practicing every single time, you can think, well, this might not be their thing. Like you have to be honest with them and your and yourself for that matter before you go start spending a gajillion dollars on drumming lessons or whatever if they're not committed you can think like well this may not be their dark horse thing and yeah and paying attention making sure your kids aren't you're not they're not trying to appeal to what you would want them to be again what i should want and what i really want yeah um, Arthur Brooks, I was watching him on Bookspan last week and he had a new book and it stuck with me the entire week. Ooh. Um, something he said about, you know, people don't know what they want. 
they know what they should want. They don't know what they really want. And, and that's at 50 years old. Yeah. And so um, it's just, you know, I think that behavior tells a real good story. And if your kid is playing video games more than they're uh, opting to go to practice or practice, then uh, that might not be their thing. Well, and I think an important uh, thing here too, that I'm again, trying to learn and practice myself is um, not get on a kid about it. Like you say you want to be a drummer, but here you are playing video games again. Like your job as a parent is not to like judge them them. and shame them. Your job is maybe to say, look, you know, you make the choice. That's great. But I'm just reminding you, I keep hearing how much you want to be a drummer and this is, this isn't going to get you there. Like not a judgment, not in a judgy way, but in a like giving them the information so it can kind of sink in and then they, they still make the choice, but at least you're kind of showing them what the choices, consequences of those choices are. Right. And, and drumming in isolation does not, can, cannot compete with uh, hanging with your friends. If, right. If, you know, if you're not even uh, accomplished in that drumming yet. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. The kid that uh, will carve out or cultivate something in isolation, I wonder if that's the same kid that is getting along well with everybody. Right. Well, it's what we said a few weeks ago when I said I wanted Nora to be the Lin-Manuel Miranda in his room by himself writing Hamilton as a kid. And you were like, no, 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 not at all. I want her to be happy and among her friends. Okay. Okay. Well, I really recommend this book. There are a ton of great stories in here about, um, people who are dark horses and how they got there that are fascinating. Um, but our job is to give you the highlight and, and give you the, the kid thinking on it. But I, I think it's a fun book um, and just a really interesting lens that, again, I'm looking at for myself. I'm going to start noticing when I judge people um, and see what, see what comes up for me. And I think I'm excited to talk to Nora about this, too. I'm feeling the book too, and I'm feeling everything that um, this guy says. And I have uh, a billboard. Oh, good! I, Thank so, you, Jerome, for always coming I, through with the billboard part of this. Well, we've just been talking about it, and I think I've just said it. Choose what you want or should want? Question mark. Choose what you want or should want. And this is the first billboard that I thought like you want should be in a different color. Oh, so wait, say that again. I'm not sure I'm getting that. Of course, choose what you want or should want. It's like asking a question. Okay, so choose. So you're saying which is quote unquote right? Right. If they're driving down, if you're driving down the street and your kid looks out the window and sees this billboard and it says, choose what you want or should want. Or what you should want, question mark. Okay. Okay, I like it. Um, uh, because it, it puts out there that a lot of things are you're doing this thing that you should want because that's what you're to stay in sync with your peers, but also knowing that 
what you want in a different color is unique to you and something right. to be mindful of as well. And they can, you know, hold both of those things in mind. Um, yeah, I think that's good. And I think this, I mean, we talked about this just on the phone the other day, like, um, the, the, the hazard of the shoulds in general, mm-hmm. like you probably use this in therapy, I would imagine, right? Like telling people, people that don't be shitting on themselves or don't shit on themselves in front of me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it was, can you talk just a little bit more about that before we go? Cause I think it's, oh. I've been thinking a lot about it lately. The I'm a definite shooter. <laughs> Albert Ellis. That's I think he was the first person. The alts and the shoulds. It's mm-hmm. not you know. It's like it's not what is. It's not what you did. It's it's not you know. Did it happen? Did it not? You're not dealing with reality. And so I'm. I a lot of therapists um, talk about you know shooting on yourselves. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> you okay. shouldn't do that in public. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, I, I I always get as much uh, therapy for myself as um, good guidance for raising a kid out of these conversations. So I, I take advantage of that. Um, and that's my right as a podcast host to take advantage of your good counsel. I'm so, always moved by the way you phrase things, girl. Um, I can't partial that. Um, what do you call it? Skinny these books down like you do. It it makes it so much uh, more palatable. Thank you for that gift. Okay. You're welcome. Well, I wanted to say today before we leave that we do have a, a Billboard Happiness hotline. Um, so if you have a question you want to have us answer about your kid or an idea of a topic we could explore in a podcast, we would love for you to leave us a voicemail. And I'm going to give you our number right now. It's 510-269-1944. So 510-269-1944. And leave us a message and tell us what you think about the podcast or just leave us a question, something you want to cover, and we'll get to it in an upcoming episode. Hey girl, I hope your week is as fun as mine, I, or as fun as I plan mine to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you always follow through, so I know it will. And I hope mine will too. Great talking to you, Jerome. Thank you. you too. Be love, be peace. Love you. Bye. Love you too. Bye-bye.